0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 22 of the Average Truly podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and today's episode is very much going to be following up on last week. So last week, I had a uh, Silver from Elite Step to talk about the ins and outs of fight night preparation from a strength and nutrition perspective. So what I'm going to do today is talk about it from a nutrition perspective. Now, this isn't going to be just for combat sport athletes, this basically to be for every uh, weight category sport. uh, So anybody who essentially has to make weight. Now, I'm pretty sure you're aware of the headlines. Uh, A lot of individuals do this very, very poorly, they use very bad practices, and they both sacrifice their performance and sometimes their health in order to make weight. So what I want to do today in today's episode is uh, basically take you through a step-by-step process of how I work with combat sport athletes or any weight-mate an athlete, whether it's a powerlifter, weightlifter, you know, you name it, um, and essentially how they can safely wake weight, uh, some of the considerations there, and also how to do it effectively without it impairing their performance. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. So the whole reason of having weight category sports is that every athlete, every individual, uh, competes against someone with similar physical characteristics. So they're on a level playing field. So the idea of cutting weight is to come down from a higher weight class into a lower weight class um, and essentially just have an advantage over the competition um, because the competition will theoretically be smaller and weaker so, if you can start heavy, drop in, and then sort of uh, regain some of the weight back, you essentially can be a bigger opposition. So, you know, this sounds absolutely great. And many individuals will do this. So, research shows about 60 90% of competitors will use some form of weight making strategy. Um, so, when we think of making weight and trying to hit a target body weight, we can very much split this into two phases phase one, which is your chronic uh, weight loss phase. So this is primarily done by a body fat loss. And this can take, you know, weeks to months. When the second phase is your acute phase. Um, And this could be, you know, days to a week. So this is your rapid weight loss strategies. and Like I said, the majority of individuals out there will be using this in some way, shape or form. Some use it wisely. Uh, and some use it very, very poorly, and it can be extremely detrimental to again both their performance and to their health. So, I'm going to touch on phase one uh, briefly today, about covered follow strategies before uh, in various podcasts and posts. Um, but what I haven't really covered in any great deal of depth is the acute side of things, the rapid radar strategies. There's definitely utility to them, they do have the benefits. Uh, but as everything is a tool in a toolbox, we need to know what tools to use to be able to use them effectively. So, I guess you kind of seen the headlines in terms of perhaps the unfavorable methods of rapid weight loss, to so this acute weight loss phase. So you see individuals doing fasting, they you know they jump in the saunas, uh, they run in plastic suits, you know you see them sort of lying on the floor like a mummy, like just dressed in towels. Uh, Some individuals take diet pills or more extreme stuff, like vomiting, laxatives, diuretics, um, all in order just to make weight. And it almost seems like that there's so much emphasis on making weight that they almost forget about the competition after it. They almost feel like they've won, they've had a success and a victory just by making weight. Where, from my perspective, that shouldn't really be the case. You know, making weight should just be a nice sort of uh, process. You can bring your body weight down, achieve your target weight goal, and then all your focus and energy should be towards our competition, whether it's, um, you know, powerlifting meets, you know, weight uh, weightlifting, it could be MMA, boxing, all that kind of stuff. So what we need to do is really kind of remove the stress from making weight, and so you can place all your emphasis, all your focus, all your energy, On the competition itself. I don't want to be a case of, you know, you made weight, this is a victory. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I actually have to compete. I actually have to go and fight someone in the space of two to three hours. You know, um, this isn't the right mindset and not not the right preparation for it. So today's podcast is all really about removing the stress and giving you a step by step uh, process and my way of thinking when it comes to uh, making weight. As I mentioned, there are several issues with rapid weight loss uh, in order to make weight. So this is both from a psychological perspective and a physiological perspective. So we know from the psychological perspective, there's good research out there showing that when individuals practice rapid weight loss strategies, they're going to have shorter memory loss, they're going to have a decrease in vigor, decreased concentration, decreased self-esteem, they can have increased sort of rage, fatigue, increased depression, isolation, and as you would imagine, some form of disordered eating as well. So from the physiological issues, you can have a de- decreased or impaired aerobic and anaerobic performance. Uh, your thermoregulation goes out of work, So since you can't maintain uh, core body temperature, uh, you can have depleted muscle and liver glycogen stores, so we know how important your carbohydrate status is to overall work capacity, both, again, both the physical and mental side of things. Uh, you can have a reduction in plasma volume because you're massively dehydrated. Uh, you can have increased cardiovascular strain, so your heart rate can have to pump a little bit harder to maintain blood pressure. Um, and then in some extreme cases, you can have hypernatremia, uh, so this is high amounts of sodium within the blood. Uh, you can have hypothermia, Uh, just because your body can't keep you cool because it's so dehydrated. In some cases, you can have acute kidney injuries, so AKIs. Um, And then in like the worst case scenarios, you can have a heart attack and it can lead to death. Um, And you've seen this in the news for sure. So this is uh, from a practitioner's perspective. Um, When I see individuals practicing like rapid weight loss strategies, This is not very good. Now, this is a big kind of red flag and big warning sign in terms of they're doing it very, very, very wrongly because there are much safer and effective ways of making weight, um, where we don't have to go through all this sort of chaos of just trying to drop some weight for a fight or competition. Um, Like I said, everyone places so much emphasis on this, uh, where it shouldn't really be a case you shouldn't have to be going to all these extreme measures just to make weight there is an easier and more effective uh, approach to it um so if this has been you in the past doing all these crazy kind of weight making strategies um and you've probably experienced some of these things um hopefully this is going to be things thing of the past as you can have almost like plug and play system uh to go forward after this podcast as we covered um there's clear negatives to rapid weight loss like no, very, very extreme cases, you um, know, it's going to be very detrimental to your health, if not your life. So, what's been shown in the research that athletes who practice more aggressive weight-cutting procedures presented better competitive results as compared to those who were more conscious with their health. Now, I know athletes are extremely driven and it's almost like a win-at-all-cost kind of mentality, and they don't really care about their health too much but i think athletes especially um i'm going to pick on combat sport athletes here um very kind of fixed in their ways of thinking very old school which is perhaps driven by the culture uh and they almost feel like there needs to be some form of hardship to in order to make weight it's just part of the process um but like i said it doesn't have to be like this we can make this process uh far more simple far more effective and get the same outcome if not a better competitive outcome. Uh, without having to go through the hell of making weight. Um, So without um, braving on too much about the introduction and the negatives to making weight, uh, let's look at ways of how we can actually implement um, a weight-making strategy safely and effectively. So when it comes to building the plan of action for a weight making sport, um, there's pretty much five key questions and considerations that come to my head. So, for the purposes of consistency, uh, I'm going to use combat sport athletes, uh, a boxer, as an example. So the five kind of key considerations and questions uh, that come to my head are: first one is pretty obvious. So how much do weight? So how much weight do we need to lose? So, the same example they need to lose 10 kilos okay perfect so at the moment you're 10 kilos above your weight category so next of all is what's the time frame so how many weeks do we have to achieve this goal so if they have 10 weeks like okay that's perfect so we're looking about one kilo loss on average per week uh, means we will cover the acute uh, weight making strategies uh, later on. Uh, so we have to take that into consideration. But on average, we're looking at about one kilo per week. The third consideration is going to be, you know, what is your current body fat? So, you know, do you actually have this weight to lose via body fat? Um, you know, I've had, I definitely had quite a few individuals come to me who are already very lean, but still need to lose quite a significant amount of weight. Um, so, say for example, I remember working with a super featherweight boxer, and you know he had eight kilos of weight to lose. It's like, okay, that doesn't sound too much of an issue. um But you know, we got a DEXA scan, which is the gold standard to measuring a uh, body fat percentage, and it came back that he only really had about seven and a half, eight kilos of body fat on his body. So, it's a case of like, okay, if you wanted to lose it all by body fat. Um, you'd have zero fat percentage which obviously is not going to be healthy and to be fair it's not actually possible either um so it's a case of like okay is this actually possible again down to this weight class uh especially the proximity of uh weighing to the event itself so you see quite a lot of individuals they'll you know be very successful in like the kind of younger sort of age categories like say when they're 14 15 16 they kind of achieved success at a certain weight category and then as they kind of progressed um or shall we say as they've matured uh you know they've just grown up and put on muscle and so on and each year it's just harder and harder and harder to get back down to our weight category so, you know each year they probably put on maybe a kilogram of weight and when i say your body fat of weight and you know just making it almost like an impossible task to try and get down to the category they need to be completed in and this is where perhaps the more extreme and dire methods come in in terms of making weight strategies is you know when they're 15 16 they didn't have to even worry about it they just rocked up and they're good to go but each year the process and the method of making weight has just got more ridiculous in order to kind of hit that weight category and these guys with and girls be absolutely shredded, you know. Uh there'd be nothing on them to lose. So one of the questions I guess alongside your current voice percentage is are you even in the right the correct weight category uh for your sport? You know, if you're building muscle all the time and you're just getting higher and higher and higher above the weight that you need to be you know maybe you just need to have a rethink and perhaps ask yourself like is this the right weight category for me to be in you know if you have to kill yourself to get down to weight every single time um is it actually worth it just perhaps have a little bit of a rethink uh surrounding this perhaps you know if we've got um a little bit longer to, between the weigh-in and the event itself then yes we can perhaps use more uh acute weight making strategies but for the you know the amateurs or boxers and combat sport athletes and so on and a lot of weightlifters and powerlifters uh they'll have same day wins and you know we can't be dehydrating depleting and stuff like that when you've got a same day win because they massively be your performance uh which we'll be going into in more detail uh later on so and that kind of leads us nicely on to point four like, what is the duration between weigh-in and the event? So what is proximity? Generally speaking, the closer the weigh-in to the event time, the fewer acute weigh strategies you can actually implement. Where if you've got 24-plus-hour weigh-in times, then yes, we can use more of the toolbox available to us, because you'll have enough time to rehydrate and replenish uh, during that period. Um, but ultimately, like you would be going through a training camp making sure you're in peak position, Um, and we don't be using the wrong strategies, the wrong tools to make weight, uh, which is going to compromise your performance because ultimately you're there, you're an athlete, you are there to perform at your best. And that's one thing I see a lot of individuals struggle with, is that their performance absolutely sucks. And I hear a lot of people saying like complaining, like, oh, I just gassed out I and mean, the lot sort of lay around. And, you know they definitely fit enough you know they put in the hard work they do all the training um, but they just can't get enough sort of fluid and carb in them uh, to replenish for it because they've done these drastic weight making and um, strategies so that'd be kind of consideration number four like what is the duration uh and that's also going to sort of factor in uh with the time frame or point number two so what's the time frame to actually um make this weight, and then no success definitely uh needs clues then so the point number five is what we've done with your previous weight cuts so what's worked well for you what hasn't worked well for you and then how can we incorporate stuff that's worked well um into our current plan of action all the stuff that didn't work well um yeah that's completely been that idea and push it the side as we mentioned um the weight loss phase is basically split into two so phase one and phase two phase one is where we're going to sort of look at your body fat loss so as we covered last week uh in last week's pod with Ree Silver from elite step um you mentioned that the whole idea of camp from a twin perspective is basically just maintenance making sure that they stay injury free and illness free so they can go into fight night in the best shape possible um most of what should we say the majority of um the adaptations from training and the real sort of improvements with strength and fitness is going to come from your off season so perhaps it's just a shift and um, like a paradigm shift in this whole idea of like right off season we do nothing and you're just tanking loads of food uh and then you just go into camp and that's where you have this kind of Rocky Balboa kind of montage of you just working really hard and going through all the struggles to make weight, where I think this has definitely changed now. So I'm in mean, very much the same uh, train of thought as this. You know, when you're in camp, when you're doing all your very much skill-specific um, work just ramps up, you'll have really high-quality sessions. And we know that being in the calorie deficit during this time probably is going to compromise that. So we know that calorie deficits um, are really going to impair your performance but physically and mentally your recovery um, you know your daily freshness fatigue is going to increase like your food focus all that kind of stuff so the idea for me in the perfect world um, we would pretty much be sitting near to weight throughout throughout camp because we've done all the hard work in terms of improving your body composition during the off season so it goes hand-in-hand hand with um, the off-season training that you're doing to, to really sort of look at adaptations and improving the physical qualities of your performance. So one thing I do see a lot of individuals do this, I think of the classic um, Ricky Hahn example of, you, know, you work super hard and can't get lose of weight him and then you can lose weight after. And it's just this continuous cycle, this continuous like yo-yo. Uh, which which something we really need to get out of. The issue that happens but potentially is that they go just go so hard, so aggressive, so restrictive with both the calories and food choices that they feel very deprived and then yes, they make weight, that's cool. They perform pretty terribly because they haven't um carved up or replenished or anything for finite. And then they feel so deprived, then they just binge after for the next or sort of, two to four weeks. Um and then, you know, they put on a stone and then this you know, this cycle just starts over so the idea is doing this sort of follow space uh we still want to be thinking about making this approach sustainable yes uh, you can have some and trade-offs but we can negate this as best as possible through the degree of the calorie deficit but if you can make this um follow phase nice and enjoyable to a certain extent um, then it just negates the need to rebound after and just binge Like, when I started working on fighters and I kind of put them on sort of different kind of meal plans with nice foods, decent portion sizes, but still in the calorie deficit, they're like, Chris, I don't feel like I'm on a diet. This is strange. I'm like, you know, how's your food focus at the moment? Like, yeah, I'm eating really nice food. I don't even feel like bingeing or anything like that. So that's the kind of mindset we want to be in, just to make sure that we bring body fat off in a nice or sustainable way uh, that prevents the rebound after as we say prevention is always better than the cure so when we look at um making weight uh by body fat loss we're looking to lose about 0.5, one percent uh per week of body weight uh this is so we can make gradual change of the body composition uh get close to that sort of goal we're looking for without really sort of experiencing too many compromises and trade-offs yes ideally this is done in the off season but if we need to, we can do this uh, in camp, um, you know, through a nice gradual kind of approach. What I see a lot of uh, individuals do as well is, if we think of the periodization of normal camp, it may start off quite chilled. Say it's a twelve-week camp, myself quite chilled, and then the intensity and volume level um, output significantly increases towards the end, and this is where they probably have the biggest calorie deficit as well. And, you know, ultimately, they need to be performing in these sessions, and they simply can't, because calorie deficit may have started quite small to begin with, maybe like five ten percent but towards the end, it's maybe like 35, 40%. And, you know, they just can't maintain the work uh, output at all. And that's where big issues come. And this is where low energy comes in, food focus goes to the roof, and this really sets them up for that sort of binge. Um, so again, when well, I mean, we look at, weight loss, this chronic kind of weight loss phase via body fat loss, we're looking at about 0.5 to 1% loss in body weight per week. and um, I believe British boxing used about 0.5 kilo loss per week uh, as a target, but I'd just like to use it a little bit more relative to the I uh, have body weight because obviously uh different individuals are going to be different sizes and perhaps a little bit more specific to them. Another reason why we should perhaps think about uh getting the bulk of uh, the body fat off in the off season is because it just removes the last minute panic um you now i've definitely been contacted by many fighters and coaches before in terms of you know we started our cut eight weeks ago like fantastic um but we're a little bit behind um and we still have you know about a stone to lose it's like okay that's cool how long do you have before you have to compete and like oh, about four weeks i like, well, that's just shit. That is in a really shitty position that you're in now. Um, now there's a panic. Now there's urgency. And now you're going to have to do something relatively drastic to make weight. Um, and then they ask, like, oh, can you help? And then if it's possible, can you um, make sure performance is 100% on point as well? So it's like it's the impossible task of losing a stone in four weeks while having optimal performance. Like, it's just not going to happen. So I know from my perspective, when I've been in this position, is almost like two scenarios. Is a case of where I just say, like no, I'm not going to work with you, and best of luck with it. Because I know that they're going to go away and do it very poorly. And this is where you know your rapid weight-making strategies happen, and very bad practice. And it's going to compromise the individual's health. Um, and I know they're probably just going to starve and just do all this horrible kind of stuff. It's always a case of like, OK, Let's try and take you through this process whilst negating these compromises as best as possible. But ultimately, it's still me a pretty shit kind of few weeks to uh, to make weight. By means, it's not the best practice in the world, but it's better than what they would have done if they were left to their own devices. So, kind of long story short, beyond this, honest. So just be really proactive with it. Don't think you could do this on your own and leave it to the last minute, because if you do um and it doesn't go to plan then you're pretty fucked on it so what you need to do again is be really proactive start in advance ideally in your season we're now still in lockdown many fighters and um sport athletes they're not competing at the moment so use this time to focus on improving your body composition i know mentally is quite difficult because you don't have a specific deadline in mind but just work towards it So it kind of, again, minimizes this rush um, for when a fight does get scheduled. So use this time wisely. You don't have to be peaking for performance at the moment. You should be working on just improving your training adaptation, improving your body composition. So when you do go into camp, then you just really just focus on the skill and the quality of the skill, as opposed to thinking I need to restrict my calories going into the session because I'm still overweight. Um, So just think about, again, the periodization of everything. Think of the periodization of your year. Now, obviously um, this year has been a little bit funny with COVID in terms of scheduling and fights, but in the ideal sort of scenario, think of when the off-seasons are, think of when potentially you're gonna have fights, when your camps are, and then just block in where you need to be working on your body composition. So you can just go go through camp uh, with all very high quality training sessions, feeling strong, always having a spring new step. And always have like um a nice kind of snap and you punch and stuff like that you don't be kind of just flailing your arms and there's nothing behind it you don't be like sort of punching like a kitten okay um and this is very much going to be down to fueling carbohydrate related hydration and overall sort of calorie intake as well once we've got bulk of the weight off via this chronic fat phase then we can move into the uh secondary phase of making weight and this is our acute weight loss strategies so when sort of researchers have interviewed um, weight making athletes as to why they do this it is very much to kind of three main things that they kind of found so one it kind of gives them like an identity like quote unquote a real athlete because they go through this hardship they go through this rocky balboa kind of process um, they have like greater like mental diversions this internal focus it really kind of sharpens the sword so to speak And you feel like you're going to get a mental advantage as well. Like, if you're bigger than your opponent, you know, you feel like you can dominate them and that's going to improve uh, confidence and everything that goes along with it. So, there's definitely some utility behind this. And, you know, I can't come in and say that, right, it's absolutely pointless. We can't do this because there is some utility there, there is some benefit to it. But we have to use these tools and toolbox and use them at the right time. So, when we think of the tools in the toolbox um, and in terms of our body weight manipulations, there's basically four things we can look at. So, number one, being a sort of low fiber, low residue diet um, that you can use perhaps one to three days out. We can use a low sodium diet, which we'll probably implement about three days out. Um, we've got a low carbohydrate diet. So you're looking to deplete your muscle collection stores and that can happen within perhaps five to seven days out. And then we also got uh, stuff like water loading and water restriction about five days out as well. When we think of our four tools in the toolbox to manipulate body weight and the days leading up to a weigh in, um, we can further divide these into two different sort of categories. Uh, on a day weighing and 24 hour plus weighing. So, we know that to optimize performance, the two most important things are carbohydrate intake and hydration. And if you are going to go on a low carbohydrate diet or do water loading or with some form of dehydrating on a same day weighing, um, then your performance is going to be far from optimal. So, in that case, we kind of leave them for uh, the 24 hour plus weighings and then on the day winds we just look at the first two so the low residue diet and low sodium intake now i call this free weight loss without performance compromise purely because we can lose weight by following these different dietary manipulations without it affecting our carbohydrate stores and affecting our hydration status so what is a low residue diet so a low residue diet is essentially a low fiber diet So when you go on a low-fiber diet, it basically reduces the gut content and the water associated with that um, fiber as well. So it works really well with individuals who go from a high-fiber diet to a low-fiber diet. So if you go from a low-fiber diet to a low-fiber diet, there's no real change, and you're not gonna have any changes in your gut contents like stool and stuff like that. But if you go from high to low, it works incredibly well. So, and it's just really practical and quite easy to implement. You just remove f- um, fibrous-based foods, like vegetables, fruit, um, all that kind of stuff. So what you typically see when you do this about one, two, maybe three days beforehand is about one to 2% body weight loss. So I know when we are sort of looking at the long-term weight-making plan, Uh, We don't necessarily need to lose 100% of the weight via body fat loss. We can probably go to about 2% above uh, where they need to be, especially for same day weigh-ins. And basically just implement this low residue diet uh, in the days leading up to it. Um, This is really, really beneficial, and it's highly effective, and like I said, it's super easy to do. You basically follow a pretty similar sort of diet plan, uh, but you just take out all vegetables what I look to do with this as well is I just look to decrease the food volume so you have less voluminous foods in your gut as well so on the same kind of um line of thought you know if you have I don't know, 500 grams of potato uh which are granted it is a lot no, that's 100 grams uh of carbohydrates but if you want to have that form say basmati rice now that's only 150 grams of weight for example there so if you're just looking at the scoreboard, um, you know, one weighs less than the other, then therefore it's going to be less weight in your gut. So when I build like low residue kind of diets and plans uh, for this purpose, I kind of marry in the two. And um, it looks quite unusual, right? like a lot of clients think like, Chris, what is this diet plan? This looks so weird. Um, but, you know, it works extremely well. Like if this is the opportunity to have very high energy dense foods, that's mostly sugar, but has a very low food volume and low fiber intake. So we still keep carbohydrate intake high to support fueling, um, but we kind of just have very reduced amounts of gut content. So again, it just works incredibly well. Um, you know, there's actually a few rice crispy squares and haribo on that day for sure. Um, with the second one then as well is uh, sodium. So a low sodium diet is going to be beneficial so we know that decreasing sodium intake will decrease extracellular fluid. Um, but the issue with is I you just don't have, uh, you don't retain as much water, um, but it's a little bit more difficult to execute cause literally everything has salt and sodium in. Um, but this just means that your food is just gonna be pretty bland and a little bit boring. Uh, so you can't put salts on it, you can't put seasonings on it, sources, all that kind of stuff. Um, because you don't have any added sodium. So when you combine a, a low sodium diet with a low residue diet, you're gonna expect a few percent uh, body weight loss, uh, quite straightforward. Uh, but again, it is a little bit more difficult to execute a low sodium diet, um, especially if you don't usually track your sodium intake, how do you know if you're going from a high sodium diet or a low sodium diet and so on so this is why things in the last four week two weeks do have to be quite measured in terms of sodium intake and so on just so you can see if there's going to be an actual change in sodium content of your diet when you look to use uh, this strategy this is also a really nice strategy which allows you to eat going into the weigh-in as well so I know a lot of individuals don't really like the thought of it but when i work with say weightlifters powerlifters especially like the lighter individuals or lighter athletes who pretty much compete in maybe 60 to 90 minutes after um they actually sort of make weight um what i like to do is get their body fat down so they pretty much add weight about you know one to two days out and then i put them on a low sodium low residue diet they lose about one to two percent of their body weight which may be about a kilo um and then what i do then is that just gives us a kilo to play with to get some kind of food some breakfast and some hydration some fluid in um so they're actually going to go into uh their first lift in a very hydrated and replenished state so what we do there we'll just weigh everything out um weigh all the food so if they don't have i know 75 grams of oats for breakfast with i know 100 ml of fluid with one banana which is 100 grams 15 grams of honey all that kind of stuff we just weigh it all up um and see obviously how much weight we have left so if you're a kilo under and you eat 500 grams um of food in that morning okay you can have 300 milliliters of water and therefore you still got 200 grams to play with assuming that your weighing scales are accurate that is um and therefore, there's no rush, there's no urgency to try and fuel going into that first lift, because I guarantee there's going to be other competitors who won't be doing this, and they'll be going into the weigh and completely fasted, and then you've got 60 to 90 minutes to try and get some kind of food and uh, fluid into them, which most likely isn't going to make a huge impact with regards to their fueling and their performance. So if we can go a little bit beyond where you need to be, uh, have breakfast and then eat going into the weigh-in, you're gonna be in a far better position um, in terms of your performance. Now, if you're competing like six to eight hours after, like in the evening, then you probably don't have to do this. Um, But for the individuals who have a super tight turnaround, I would actually advise overshooting your weight uh, category goal and actually eat going into the weigh-in just so you're fully fueled and performance is not going to be an issue um no 60 to 90 minutes after. If you then need extra weight loss. Um so say for example if you have a twenty-four hour plus weigh-in period, then we can start looking at the next two strategies, which one is a low carbohydrate diet. So this is just glycogen depletion. We know that one gram of carbohydrate is roughly going to hold on to about three grams of water into the muscle. So if you go on a low carbohydrate diet, you deplete your glycogen stores and therefore, you de- um, deplete some water weight as well, and this can be perhaps around two percent uh, from a fully replenished um, fighter or athlete. So we can only really do this uh, with 24-hour plus win because again, if we deplete your glycogen stores, the carbs in your muscle, and you try competing with it, um, you know your performance is going to suck massively. Um we know that once you hit certain levels of depletion, the muscle becomes impaired with regards to its contractile properties and it's just not going to be able to produce the same amount of force and power output is going to massively drop. So we definitely don't want this on same-day weigh. But if you got, you know, a 24 plus hour win, you know, you can deplete quite well. And within that time frame, if you get a good feed on and a good amount of carbohydrates in, like very high amount of carbohydrates, then you can replenish from space of so 24 to 36 hours pretty comfortably, and you know, performance is going to be absolutely on point uh, during like fight nights or during your lifting or whatever you're trying to make weight for. So, there's definitely utility in this approach, uh, but you have to do it on a 24 plus hour sort of weighing time scale. Then, the last strategy we're going to look at for the 24 plus hour weighing period is water loading. This is something that's very anecdotally, uh, what I've seen as well is uh, it's just very, very, very common. A lot of people do water loading, and to my knowledge, there's I believe one study out there showing that it can be beneficial, and um, the rest is very much just anecdotal like, oh, he does water loading, I'm gonna do water loading as well. She found it beneficial, therefore, I'm gonna do it. So, what this one study in water loading showed um was that you definitely have responders and non-responders i.e. it doesn't work for everyone so what they did was a five-day process uh the first three days they had two groups uh the first group gr- drank 100 milliliters uh, per kilogram of body weight so if you're sent to athletes that's seven liters um, versus the more of a control group, we drank 40 milliliters per kilogram body weight. So if you weigh 70 kilos, uh, that is 2.8 liters. So quite a significant difference. Um, on day four, they both transitioned into consumption of fluid at about 15 milliliters per kilogram body weight. So you know that's between one to 1.5 liters. Um, sorry, I can't do the maths on the top of my head. Um, and then on day five, they had no fluid to uh try and replicate uh weight making kind of processes and again what we found what they found was they had responders and non-responders on average these individuals lost about 1.2 percent of their body weight via water loading where you had some that didn't really lose anything and then some outliers that you know uh, lost about five percent of body weight loss so What we can really take away from this is, yes, on a whole, it does work and it is safe to do, uh, given these sort of parameters and the numbers that work enough. Um, But you have to trial this first to find out exactly how it works for you. Um, Don't take it on face value and say, like, oh, on average it works, so it must work for me. It works for that person over there. You know set up your own um mini weight making sort of trial again to find out what works, what doesn't you know if you put all these strategies these four strategies together okay what is the maximum amount of weight that i can lose safely just by implementing these strategies if you find that you can lose what four percent uh when you're combining all these strategies together then that's how much you need to be sitting above your weight category and that's where you can just kind of hold if you can only use uh two of these strategies because they're confined or weighing and you can lose 1.52 percent via these methods then again you can only really sit 1.52 percent above your weight category so kind of putting this all into like um a nice summary it really is a case of choosing the correct method choosing the correct tool out of the toolbox so if um you have a weigh-in and it's 30 minutes before the event itself you no, know, ideally you're probably looking about one to three percent of body weight loss and that can be achieved by a low residue diet and a low sodium diet if you have uh perhaps three to four or perhaps four to six hours uh between the weigh-in and the event itself you could probably push that up to five percent so you can't go full dehydration or full collection depletion but you can definitely do like a, a small to moderate one um and therefore again news about sort of five percent ish body weight again these are on average we do need to try out these and um, to see how you know you respond to them essentially Where if you have 24 hours if you have a full day uh you can pretty much go full tilt today and use everything. Um, so for my fully hydrated and for my fully replenished state, uh, you'd look at implementing a low residue diet, a low sodium diet. You could do full glycine depletion, yeah, and you do a water load, and you're probably looking between you know five to eight uh, percent loss in body weight day. And you if you really wanted to kind of push that to like 10%, that's when dehydration methods come in, which I really don't think is necessary and i wouldn't be overly comfortable doing that with individuals um you know sort of top end for me really is talking about you know five to eight percent um and that again is with a 24 hour weigh in but as i kind of mentioned throughout this whole um acute weight making strategy section you know the closer we have uh, the weighing in to the event itself the fewer amount of strategies we can actually look to implement and to put into practice because again the most important thing is performing you don't be compromising to your ability to perform because you put so much effort into making weight you know it's pretty futile isn't it so yes weight making strategies are important but it's choosing the right ones for the right period and for the right scenario. To wrap up uh, today's episode of the pod, so the four key take homes. One, it's not a one size fits all approach. Um, we have to think specific and specific to you. Um, just because a certain individual does something, it doesn't mean that we should copy them and it's gonna work for you, okay? Uh, which leads us on to point two we need to test strategies and training first so we don't have any hidden and nasty surprises on the day of your competition. Um, point three we need to ensure that the fat loss phase is sustainable so we don't rebound after we want to try and just get rid of all of this sort of bad um you know binge uh cut kind of cycling uh we don't want this at all okay um and then the last one is very much case of don't leave it till the last minute be proactive with the client you know what the Time frame you're working with, you know what the end goal is, you know what your weekly rates of weight loss should be, and if you're not achieving those uh weekly rates of weight loss, reach out, ask a professional, and get help sooner rather than later. Uh I don't leave it till three weeks out and tell an individual you have a stone to lose. So hope this helped uh, today, guys. Um, if you found any value in this episode. Uh, please share with individuals so they do not fall into these so or nasty practices of weight making uh, ultimately we do not want to be compromising health to make weight it's just not worth it in the slightest and then likewise we don't be compromising performance either um so guys that's wrap for today if you have any questions queries or anything i can help you with Uh, just reach out on Instagram DMs and you'll find me there. Uh, But until next time, guys, goodbye.